they tricked me again in thinking that I was coming up after that, and then they did another chorus. So I sorry. think they did it on purpose. It was a plan. Um, <laughs> which, is, which is great. I appreciate it. Um, so um, happy to be in front of you guys today to be able to speak through uh, Acts. Oops, see, I said I was going to say Acts. Exodus chapter 4. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty cool chapter, and I'm ex- very excited to be able to be up here and to be able to, to share from the Word. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, possibly know me, I'm Dan, uh, and any chance I have, I'll plug the youth ministry, um, because it's awesome. Uh, if you guys don't, aren't doing anything on a Wednesday night, come on out. Uh, we normally play some games, have some fun, and then we dig into the Old Testament uh, right now. So we're digging in to see the major themes throughout the Old Testament and how God, when he makes a promise, he keeps it, and all the covenants he's making and all these different things throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Any of the youth will tell you, I love, 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 love the Old Testament because it all points to the New Testament and the ultimate fulfillment. So um, if you're interested in youth or you are a youth or you're youth-minded, because I'm not a youth anymore at all, but definitely youth-minded. So we're going to pray and we're going to dig in because there's a lot in chapter 4. Adam gave me a very long passage. There's a lot of cool stuff in it. So I don't want to waste my time doing that, just talking. So let's uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into Exodus chapter 4. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to live in a, in a country that's free, that we can come into a church building and declare your name from anybody else, that we can freely worship you in all that we do. Pray that you'll open our ears and our hearts to your word. We praise you for the worship band that's setting our hearts and our minds on you uh, with, some, with some songs so we can begin to open our hearts to hear what your word has revealed to us and how that applies to our lives. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. So, negative self-speak plagues our society. This, I can't do something. I can't be, oh, I'm the worst. I can't do this. I can't do these different things. It plagues our society. In my house, I call it stupid talk. My boys will say something, and I say, that is stupid talk. Because they say, I can't do this. Now, I I fully know that they can't do a lot of things. I would not trust them to do operation on me. They're 10 and 7. There are certain things that they cannot do. But when they get upset about a video game that they just bought and they can't beat a level, and they say, I'm the worst at Nintendo, no, that's stupid talk. Or they play sports and they make a mistake. They make an error in baseball or on themselves, and they say, I'm the worst. I let down my team. I stink. That negative self-talk, that stupid talk, plagues our society. It's easier to see it in other people. And knowing that I was going to start this sermon this way, I started looking at my life this past week of times that I negative self-talked, stupid talk to myself. And it came across way too much. You know, it came across in my work environment and that kind of thing, but it came across even with me coming up here. There's people that are more educated than I am. Why, why me? There's people that are more 
uh, have studied Scripture longer than I have, maybe longer than I've been alive in this room. There's people that are better speakers, are more charismatic, can not wave their arms wildly in the air and to, to communicate things. There's a lot of people that I feel, in my mind, are more qualified to speak. Now, Adam has a doctorate in this. He's done a lot of school. So I start negative self-talking and I start thinking, why? What do I have to share? I don't, my life's not completely in order. I sin. I'm a normal person. I do things. Why am I here? Self, negative self-speak plagues our society. And you don't have to go very far to see that. I'm sure you could pull up social media right now and there'll be hundreds of examples very quickly on your feeds of people bashing themselves. And they might be doing it for recognition. So you go, oh, no, you're not that dumb. You know, people like to have that affirmation. But it's because we're trying to lower that expectation. We're trying to you know, take that weight on ourselves or we're trying to lower the expectation or lots of other reasons why we negative self-talk, why we stupid talk. And that's no different than what we're going to see today. That's why I bring this up. Moses, who we look at as being one of, uh, Bruce is in here, one of the heroes of the Bible. Um, but he, Moses negative self-talks here in this chapter and how it's going to drastically affect him. And we'll, and we'll see that as we, as we dig in to Exodus chapter 4. So what I'm going to do, uh, we're going we're gonna to kind of break this into two parts uh, so you don't have to hear me read for as long. So we're going to do verses 1 through 17, talk about that, and then talk about the uh, second half of the chapter. So we'll dig in here. Leave me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is, it that, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. So he threw it on the ground and became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. And Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Then the Lord said to him, or blind, is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with you, be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite, 
I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with the mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be a God, as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So, we've got to set the scene here real quick. Um, this is the second half of the burning bush story. So Moses is up talking to the burning bush and God has already revealed himself to him. He's already said, Moses, I've chosen you. And then Moses says, well, what if, who, who do I say sent me? And he says, I am who I am sent you. Yahweh, I am God. I have always been. I will always be. I am sending you. And Moses is still trying to wrap his mind around this. And if he's anything like me, I start playing through, and I say, I'm here to save you. I'm here to rescue you from big bad Egypt. And then they go, okay. Uh, so you were chosen? Yes, yes, God spoke to me. Okay, God spoke to you. And did he say who he was? Oh, yeah, 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 he said his name is Yahweh. Okay, that's cool, that's cool. Um, and he, he actually talked to you? Because like, mind you that right now there's been like no, God hadn't spoken in the Old Testament uh, before this in Genesis, but there's been a long time since he's physically spoken to anybody. And Moses is going to go before his people and go, yeah, 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 God talked to me through a bush. They're going to be like, uh, what? Oh, oh, not just any bush. The bush was on fire. It, that, that, in my mind, is straitjacket worthy. You know, padded rooms. Like, God has never revealed himself through a shrub before. But he's revealing himself to Moses through a shrub. A fiery shrub that never gets consumed. So Moses is questioning here, and he doesn't use stupid speak here. I think he's still trying to wrap his mind around what is going on. And he says uh, in, that, in that first verse, but what if they don't believe those things? And God, and on first read, they're pretty cool, but there's so much deeper than that. So the first one, he has a staff. God says, throw your staff on the ground. Okay, those staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. That's insane. It's so scary to him that Moses hightails away, runs away because the snake is real, is dangerous. It's incredible circumstances. And just that is pretty cool. But what it's showing deeper is God is in control. God is more powerful than this world allows so we have great inventors out there. We have great you know, cooks and great, um, really smart engineering mind people that can build things. But they can't take an inanimate object and turn it into an inanimate, uh, inanimate object, however you say that. Okay, so can't turn it into a living creature. We can make robots and those things, but that's not a living, breathing, dangerous creature or person or anything like that. We can't do that. God is outside of the order that he set for us. God is showing his power and his strength by saying, throw it down, and it turns into a snake, a serpent. And then God tells him to pick it up by the tail. I don't do snakes. 
because it has the whole ability to shoot back at you and bite you and do all those things. Moses obeys. He does this and turns it back in to an inanimate object, back into a stick. God is outside. How powerful that is that he's able to change the genetic makeup of a stick to turn it into a snake. God is powerful, and that's what he's showing Moses there. I am more powerful than you could ever imagine. And then he goes on further. He says, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. You would think one, one example would be good enough. He gives him three. Put your hand inside your cloak. Pull it out, and it's white as snow. Leprosy was something that would destroy civilizations. It's something we have a cure for today, but back then it would destroy the civilizations. It would outcast you. You'd be a nothing all of a sudden because you contracted this very uh, contagious disease. You'd be sentenced away. And the Egyptians were super afraid of it, so were the Hebrews. And God tells him, put his hand in his cloak, he pulls it out, and it's white as snow. The smartest doctors, the smartest people on civilization couldn't figure out a cure for this. God gives it to him instantly. And he says, put it back in. God takes it away. God has the ability to give and to take. It's how powerful he is. Better than the best doctors we have. And then the third miracle here, the third thing, the third sign is, Moses doesn't get to see here, but he says, if they don't believe those two things, they don't believe that I am the most powerful person, then go to the Nile, grab a cup of water, and pour it on the ground. And that water will turn into blood. That's pretty cool too on face value, but it's showing God's power even more. The Nile is the life of Egypt. It's a desert. They didn't have the Nile, they'd be a very tiny nation. They'd be a very small group of people. The Nile brings life. And when you pour out blood, signifying death, God is in charge of life and, in de and of death. God is more powerful than life and death. And that's what's symbolized here as well. So God is showing his great, immeasurable power through incredible signs. These signs that we would go, wow. Like we would go see a magician who would do these kind of things. We would think they were sorcery or all kinds of crazy stuff. But God is using incredible signs to point to his incredible power. That his incredible plan is going to come through these crazy circumstances. But they show God's power. And Moses sees this. Uh, but God, I don't speak so good. I can't talk. And if you notice here, what he says, um, I, I honestly think, I was talking to Adam this morning about this, it's pretty well written, what he's saying. And, Mo and Moses wrote this too. So he's quoting himself, and he says, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since, I've spoken to your since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I, I don't see that as what he's saying. And we have the rest of Scripture that points back at this too. So, we're going to jump to where Stephen is talking about this in the book of Acts and see kind of what Stephen says about it. But on first read, it looks like Moses just goes, I, I, I don't speak so good. I have a stutter or I have some sort of speech impediment. I have something that disqualifies me from going forward and speaking in front of my Hebrew people. And Stephen kind of takes away a lot of his, uh, his argument here. Uh, so Stephen, in chapter 7 of Acts, 
He says, um, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. So, Stephen's saying here, no, Moses was highly trained. And you have to think, he was. He was a prince of Egypt. He was taken into the bin, a slave, but he was fully Egyptian as well, and he was able to go into these great schools and become a leader. You know, we follow the, the royal family over in Europe, you know, in uh, England, and we see that line and how many, you know, Moses has been way down the line probably to the throne. But he was raised in the royal family of Egypt, learning how to speak, learning how to do all these things. So is Stephen in Acts revisionist history? Is he trying to just you know, poke holes at, at, at Moses here? Probably not. It probably is Moses was articulate and a great speaker in Egyptian. He was raised in that. His first language that he probably learned was Egyptian. So when he's saying that his tongue is heavy and it's hard, he might be a second language Hebrew person speaking. And we can tell when we have foreigners and that kind of thing, it's hard to hear some of their dialect because English is their second or third or fifth language, whatever it might be. Moses might be saying that here. I don't speak so good Hebrew. They're going to think I'm coming back to save them, but I'm Egyptian. They're going to go, oh, we don't want no Egyptian saving us. We want a Hebrew. Because you go fight him as, a, as a, an Egyptian, not as a Hebrew. He spoke, he looked like an Egyptian. But he's also fully Hebrew. So he's the perfect mediator between the two. Um, so, him saying that he's slow of speech, there's a morsel of truth in that, but that's that negative, speech, negative self-talk, that stupid talk that comes in. Moses says, I'm not good enough, God. After he's seen all these great things, after the plan has been revealed to him, after he's seen these awesome signs, he goes, hmm. And God is still very, very generous and kind to him shortly after this. He says, Moses, who makes your mouth? Who makes the blind? Who makes the seeing? Who makes the deaf? Who makes the lame? Who makes the mute? I do. It's not about you, Moses. You notice, you notice Moses is saying, I can't do this. And God's saying, I can. I can do it because I made your mouth. I will be your mouth. I will make you speak and I will teach you and show you every word you need to say. And the people will believe if you just go. Go therefore. So Moses has all of his fears alleviated. There's nothing else that, that it could possibly And so he's ready to go now, right? He's able to be like, all right, let's do this. God has got in control. And he takes it a step further that we've already read and seen. He goes even more self-doubting, more stupid talk. And he says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Not me. I cannot do this. I'm not good enough. I've been fleeing. I've done, we've seen his whole life before. We know what's happened in his past. I'm not qualified. I cannot be used by you, God. And God gets angry. And it's not an anger that we would associate with it. We're made in God's image, so we have 
physical appearance of God, but also the emotional and those type of things. So God has the same emotions that we can have, but we take that way too far. When we get angry, we flip tables, we go punch somebody, we do something insane. God in his anger here is a righteous anger. He doesn't kill Moses. He doesn't disqualify him. He says, I understand. Aaron, which is the first time we see Aaron here, Aaron is on his way out to see you. He'll be your mouth. He'll speak for you. God's plan, which has been already revealed, doesn't get stopped by Moses being. Moses is Moses. And God knew Moses was going to do this. And had Moses just said, all right, cool, guess what would have happened? God would have said, hey, your brother Aaron is going to speak for you. But he, God uses all of these small, what we would consider, consider coincidences, to God they're not, to bring about his purpose. God's plan prevails despite anything we try to do. Despite humanity. Completely. And we can see that here in Moses. So, God promises Moses in anger. He gives him a promise. And, and not to spoil alert, but when God makes a promise, he keeps it. Uh, we, we can see that in, in Scripture. So, God has his plan that he set from the beginning of time all the way through. And it uses humanity and all the things that we choose and do, despite of humanity, it still comes true. Despite how much we try to fight it. Despite how much we think we know better. God's plan always prevails. So, this, that ends the uh, burning bush story. So, Moses is now going back home, um, and we're going to read these uh, you know, four what's to the Hebrews. So, we'll read through them and, and kind of discuss them. They seem kind of random, but they're not. Um, so, it, it's pretty cool. So, let's, let's dive into these. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of, the Lord, of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, The Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I will say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her fun blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain, and God, mountain of God, and kissed him. 
And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses said to Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, we have Moses, who finally seems to be getting it, right? He leaves the mountain, he goes talks to his father-in-law, and he says, I gotta go back to Egypt. Father-in-law says, go in peace. Which is great. Moses is finally understanding, finally getting it, it seems, from this part of the story. And then God reassures him even more. Multiple times in Scripture that he would be a father of many, many children, even though he had like one at the time or none. God reassures over and over again. He reassures Moses here and says, all those people that are looking to kill you, they're gone. You've been gone for 40 years. They're not looking for you anymore. They've forgotten about you. You're a nobody again. So he, he packs up what I think is really cool and probably glossed over real quick. He packs up, he gets ready to go, and he saddle up donkeys. Now, Moses is a, this story is begging us to see it in light of Jesus. We have many encounters where it's saying Moses is this mini terrible Jesus, and we, had, we need a better Moses on the other end. We have in the beginning the death decrees. All the baby boys are supposed to be killed in water. It says, hey, look, very similar stories. You have Moses being fully Egyptian and fully Hebrew because he was raised in both those houses. Perfect mediator and God. Jesus, fully God, fully human. Perfect mediator between those two. And, and there's multiple more, but here in this passage, and a donkey. Saddling up a donkey as being somebody riding a battle. But Moses is riding in to save the, Egypt, save the Israelites from the Egyptians on a donkey. Just like Jesus on Palm Sunday rides a donkey to deliver us. Moses, Savior, Deliverer, Jesus, way better. Deliverer, deliverer Savior. The stories scream to compare them. And it's kind of crazy. Um, if you study Jewish culture, Moses is like the Jewish great guy. He's, he's, he's who they talk about all the time. Moses, because he did some great things, he delivered his people. But Jesus is the infinite time better Savior. Moses is just Moses. So, he saddles up his donkey and he goes. And um, it seems like he's obeying. And this is where I really want Felix to be in here because then he would go, is he obeying? And he'd go, probably not. Dun, dun, dun! Because that third story, uh, so we'll, we'll kind of jump there. It's talking, it's kind of crazy. Out of nowhere, God wants to kill Moses. Why? He's obeying. So it appears. But Moses has gotten into 
an apathy state, it appears. Doing what God has commanded him to do, but he doesn't have his house in order. He's not following the things that he is supposed to follow. And he knows them because his wife knows them. Because she saves him by doing the thing that he was supposed to do. The outward showing of his faith was to have his children circumcised. But he didn't do it. His wife does it. And this is the fourth time, which is crazy, fourth time a woman character is saved the day in the book of Exodus. You have his mother who saved him from death, and then his sister who watches over him and stands up to Pharaoh's daughter who saves him as well, and now his wife. God is using what was considered at the time the lesser of people to save the day. There'd be no Moses without these strong women. There would be no deliverance of the Israelites without these women. God's plan is miraculous and it uses all these small things to prove how powerful and how mighty He is. He uses everything and how His plan is so intricate and interwined together that we can see that. So, His wife saves the day. Kind of go together and this one is, is kind of tough. Um, so I'm just going to read it again here, and then we'll, we'll kind of break down why it's tough and why it seems kind of unfair. Um, and the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then he should say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. It makes God, on first, see, on first read, seem unjust. Not very kind. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart. He's saying, Pharaoh's not going to let him go, but if he doesn't, I'm going to kill him. Kill his firstborn kid. And all the kids that are firstborn of that it makes God seem un, un, unfriendly, ungodly. But we have more scripture that kind of backs us up. Um, so we're going we're gonna to flip there too and, and read in Romans chapter 9. Um, I believe it'll be up on the screen. Um, yep. So it says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will, or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I might so show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. So we see it's not unjust. We all deserve we all started with that hard heart. And to say that God doesn't have that power takes away power from God. If Pharaoh were to, you know, if God were to say here, Pharaoh may or may not let you go, you're saying God doesn't have the control. God doesn't have the power. God's plan is contingent on us. And it's not. 
God has mercy on his chosen, which is awesome. So, so happy for that. But he has no mercy on those who do not choose to follow him. And he knows that from the beginning of time. So it was part of the plan that Pharaoh was going to have a hard heart. It's not saying that he's forcing him to do that. We have our own choices and our own time all the way to the end of time. And he uses those things. God's plan prevails no matter what. God is always in control. God has that ability, and he has our best interests in mind inside that plan. So, then we move on, um, and we see that Aaron actually shows up then. Um, Aaron shows up, and it says at the mountain, so it's probably a little bit before. Uh, Moses just kind of stuck that in there because he's already on his way out. He meets up with Moses, and Moses tells him all these things, and Aaron's pumped. Aaron's excited. Um, and then they go in front of all of the high council of the Israelites, and they proclaim these things. They give God's plan. They show the signs. And the people believe, and they begin to worship. That's what's crazy about this. Moses, who was given the same plan, the same signs, questions. He says, I can't do it. Not me. The Israelites say, here are the same signs, exactly the same, but through a mediator, through Moses' time, and they say, God can. God has, and God will. They understand the power of God. Difference between Moses' attitude and the Israelites' attitude. And the Israelites don't know. They're worshiping, and they still don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. They believe, but it hasn't happened yet. We have the rest of Scripture to see that. They, they go, okay, God's going to save us. They're going to, God's going to save us through this Moses guy. But it doesn't happen right then. We still have the plagues, and we still have a lot of chapter. We're in chapter 4. There's a lot more to happen before they actually get out of Egypt. But they believe, and they worship. How much more are we then called to worship because of this story? We see it play out. God's already laid out the plan. So we see how it plays out, and it plays out how he says it's going to. We see that there. And then we see, because it's begging us to look at the New Testament, to look at Jesus, it's begging us to go there. We see how much even more we have to worship. Because we're not just this small Savior that Moses is. Moses is there to save a small group of people from a small nation that they were in bondage and slavery to, the Egyptians. Jesus came to deliver us from the bondage and slavery of sin. Bigger, more infinite number times that is compared to this little tiny Moses. But God's plan continues on. God's in control and He uses all these people despite how negative we think of ourselves and how lowly we think of ourselves. God uses Moses for his great purpose. How much more should we worship than that? We should be constantly looking around for ways to worship. And worship is more 
than the two hours or hour and a half that we spend here on Sunday mornings. It's a, it's a constant mindset. It's giving our whole soul, mind, strength to God. We can worship throughout the week by loving on our neighbors, by sharing the good news, by waking up a couple minutes early and praying for the people around us, for our families, for our friends, for our church congregation, for outside of these walls. That these, this community would know God is good and God is in control. Because that's a common misconception in this world. God, that God is, has a plan and He keeps that plan. So how much more should we worship because God's plan always comes through despite me, despite you. So I'm going to have the band start coming forward and I'm going to challenge you guys this week to try to think of something you can do, some concrete, something small maybe, that you can do this week to worship outside of these walls. Maybe, like I said, maybe that's waking up five minutes early, five minutes of sleep to go pray for your friends, your family, your neighbors, for this church, for the community at large. Maybe that's a random act of kindness to a friend. Not so you can be seen as great or awesome, but a random act to not just to be about God. Maybe that's talking to some of the people that are in ministry here and seeing how you can help, seeing how you can pray for them, seeing how you can do, maybe join in. Because we have some awesome ministries here uh, and we, we do great things at this church. And I'm a, I'm a proud member of this church. But we can always do more, especially outside of these walls for other people. God's plan always prevails. Being a God that sets a plan and follows through. How often we break our plans or change our plans when certain things happen. We get angry or we get frustrated with our friends or our fellow people around us that we change plans or we adapt quickly. You have a plan, you stuck with it. And we praise you for Moses being this little savior. And we praise you even more. And we worship you even more for Jesus, the infinitely times better Savior that delivered us from bondage of slavery and sin that we may live forever with you and be heirs to the eternal throne. In your name we pray, amen. If you'd like to stand, you may now and continue.